Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome back to Parts Unknown, the wrestling podcast that breaks down each and every one of the WWF's premier annual events until all the dust is settled and it's all said and done. Now, before we get to this week's show, what is the greatest comeback in WrestleMania history? Was it Daniel Bryan at Mania 34? That was pretty emotional. How about Shawn Michaels returning after a five-year absence at Mania 19? Or maybe you think Bret Hart's match with Vince McMahon was a fitting comeback for one of the all-time greats. If that's the case, I'm afraid Creative has nothing for you, and we wish you all the best in your future endeavours. Well, Brian, Sean and Brett, I've got news for you, brother. The greatest comeback in WrestleMania, wrestling, damn it, podcasting history is about to happen right here, right now. Anton Axel Tolui has accepted a booking at Comic-Con in Saskatoon. At least that's what we assume. So in his place, we're going old school. Back to the glory days of Parts Unknown, in fact, as we welcome into the new generation from The Guardian. It's only the bad guy himself, John Ashdown. Hi, John. Hi there. Good to have you. Glad to be back. Good to be here, yeah. Things have things have changed. Certainly. Uh, new venue. Alongside John, two superstars whose contracts do not permit them to miss a shot, ever. First up, he's a very intelligent man, even if that doesn't extend to an understanding of nominative wrestling puns. Still agog with wide-eyed wonderment at the thought of Paul Bearer, it's the mouth of the South, Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. And completing the lineup, she might be the only female member of this faction right here, but she damn sure ain't no valet. It's the narcissist, Dr. Carrie Dunn. Hello. Right, that's the unnecessarily long ring entrances out of the way. Let's start the show. Today we're winding back the clock to 1993 when the WWF headed to the gambling capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, for WrestleMania 9. A couple of points of note about the show before we begin. JR made his debut in a toga, no less, having jumped ship from WCW. He handled commentary alongside Bobby Heenan and and Randy Savage. Carry a word on the togas, the animals, and the actors playing Caesar and Cleopatra. What the WWF was going on here, and did you care for it? Um, it was certainly different. It certainly gave it um, a unique look, but I'm not sure that uh, it wasn't breaking many, many laws about uh, animal welfare and also, you know, bounds, boundaries of taste. Um, what I found actually really weird about this setup is how many people would have actually been able to see anything that was happening at ring level. As far as I could see, there were no big screens or anything like that, and there was just lots of posts in the way. So what I find really, really interesting about the look of this entire WrestleMania is how kind of strong like makeup and outfits and gimmicks were, just because you couldn't see bugger all else because it was just really badly staged yeah it was um a first in in many regards this one the first up to this point not to feature any celebrity involvement took place outside and in daylight which made for a, a weird viewing experience that compounded by the fact that a good number of the audience were big spenders at vegas casinos those casinos as bought up tickets to mania promising heavy gamblers comps to the show free travel and accommodation hence much of the crowd neither knew nor cared about why what was happening in the ring was and for them that might not be 
a bad thing. This was a real low point in the history of WrestleMania. Perhaps the worst show of the bunch, even. Only two of the nine matches had clean finishes. I want to start at the end of the show with one of the matches that did end in a pinfall, but only after shenanigans galore. Yokozuna beat Bret Hart to capture the WWF heavyweight title, only to lose it to Hulk Hogan. So the main event saw two wrestlers we've spoken a lot about in recent weeks square off. Brett, the champion, defending against Yokozuna. Yoko wins in nine minutes after his manager, Mr. Fuji, blinded Brett with baby powder behind the ref's back. But, John, the fun didn't end there. No, because here, come, here comes Hulk Hogan, who, uh, who found it wasn't enough to spend ten minutes after the tag match uh, hot-dogging and grandstanding in the ring and had to come out and first help Brett, or very, very briefly help Brett, to basically the side, <laughs> not to the back, just to the railings, uh, and then went and uh, pinned Yokozuna in, what, four or five seconds or something like that? Um, yeah, one of the worst WrestleMania conclusions there was, I think. We'll get into what Brett thought about it, but Hogan was on his way out at this point. He'd just filmed Mr. Nanny, and he would leave after King of the Ring that summer. So why was Vince so keen to appease him by giving the title at this time? Is it a goodbye present? Is it just that I don't believe in Brett very much? Or It'd be interesting to know. I mean, I guess we'd only really know if... Um if and when Vince's memoirs come out and then even then I don't think we'll be able to trust them uh, as far as we can throw them um, I guess it's because I mean there was the story afterwards of Vince sort of saying right we're back this is like how it's supposed to be uh, once uh, Hogan's got the belt but he must have known that that he was on his uh, that he was on his way um, I wonder if Vince thought he might be able to get Hogan to put Brett over and therefore solidify him as the sort of leader of the new generation but obviously that didn't happen either yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one, and it's a weird kind of um, sort of postscript to the Hulkamania era, really, because it, I, it's almost like non-canonical in kind of the, his various title runs. Am I right in saying that this is the point where, um, as John says, um, Vince did want Hogan to put Brett over, and Hogan refused, and Brett confronted him about it? Is this, is, that, 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 that was that the original plan, wasn't the it, Carl? Apparently, on the day of uh, WrestleMania 9, Hulk Hogan went to talk to Brett, in the change room went look Brett there are guys my size and there are guys your size and guys my size always win that's how it's always going to be basically said Brett Hart is too undersized to ever be the guy that Hulk Hogan ever was and that's why this mania is going to end with Hulk on top and why Hulk Hogan will probably not do the job for Brett Hart because Brett Hart is small for all of his 6 foot 200 plus pound frame it's ridiculous. Do you, do you think that Brett was right to be so indignant in his book? He goes into detail about how unhappy he was about this finish, which obviously looks ridiculous. You know, Hogan won in, in 22 seconds in the match, which why Fuji would accept another title match straight after one is a big hole in the story anyway. But is it is it a case of Brett is right in this instance or is it what we've spoken about in recent weeks where he's a bit too much into Bret Hart and everything around it and he should have just said, it's a show, this is how they've booked at the end I think I think it's a bit of both I think also Bret Hart is also very annoyed about Yokozuna uh, if in who cut the match off apparently yes so apparently Bret had uh, scripted the entire match in a way that would allow both wrestlers to get off the both of the best of their ability so Yoko gets to look strong Bret gets to look like he's very smart cunning I'm gonna chop you down at the legs self but apparently Yokozuna goes into Act 3 after five minutes of the match because he tired quickly. So I think it's roughly at the point where Yokozuna has Brett on his shoulders in the corner of the ring and then Brett grabs the shoulder, um, the top turnbuckle and the 
top turnbuckle padding is removed. That's when it enters the final stage. And more, apparently Yokozuna called audible and let's just do this now, which frustrated Brett. And I think that's very much Brett going, mm, no, this is meant to be my big moment to show off I'm the champion and how I'm smart, not only being the champion, but also how smart I can be scripting matches. And in the end, he gets he looks incredibly silly, both in kayfabe and in real life. Uh, and he's just been dumped on but from an almighty height by Vince, Hogan, Yokozuna to a lesser degree as well. Bret Hart has good reason to be bitter. The level at which he takes that bitterness goes too far often um lest we forget we got a, a promo before this match with with hulk hogan talking about a, a future title shot not a, not at this time uh, where he said that regardless of whether it was bret hart or the jap he would win um luckily john he's he's learned from that and he's sort of um mended his ways these days this was a one-off for, for terry well was, he's done something recently hasn't he? I've, <laughs> I've been noticing on uh on on twitter yeah, yeah, it's not great, is it? Um, he also says in that in that little interview that Brett's a Hulkamaniac, which is just incredibly patronising <laughs> towards the champion that's supposed to be sort of taking the flame onwards. So he goes, Brett's a Hulkamaniac, but when I was in that chamber room, I was unsure to the level of which, which is why I want to issue the challenge. He basically went, I looked Brett Hart in the eye and thought, actually, no, nah, you're a bit of a loser, so I'm going to have to step in and take care of it, uh, which telegraphs the finish, kind of. It, Hulk Hogan is such a, dick <laughs> and i'm you know i'm of a, i was two years of age when wrestlemania 9 aired get out sorry um and, and a lot of my a lot I, you know, I've, I've spoken in this podcast how i'm a wcw baby so like my entire experience of hulk hogan has been this guy's a bad guy because I've, I've i knew him first as hollywood hogan as a air guitar strutting black bearded terrible human being so anytime someone comes up to me and shows me um, All-American Hulk Hogan. He's like, yeah, he's a hero. I'm like, he's not doing anything different from what he was doing. He's, he's the same guy in NWO and outside NWO. Why did you all like him? And, and to it, the only reason I could ever... Because the crowd is hot. The crowd is hot when Mr. Fuji challenges Hogan and goes, get in this ring and fight. And when Hogan wins the title, there is a pop. And were people different? Before the internet was a thing? Maybe it was the drunk gamblers who'd been <laughs> comp the tickets who knew Hulk Hogan and by this point were, whatever, six or seven beers deep and, and fancy, fancy cheering on the Hulkster. So he left with the big belt. Earlier on in the night, he'd been denied tag team gold. Yeah, he pulled double duty on this show. After he and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, a.k.a. the Mega Powers, had lost the tag title by DQ against Money Inc., Ted DiBiase and IRS. Um... Carrie, do you want to explain the convoluted finish of this match? No. Okay, it was um, it was quite convoluted. The post-match celebs, John, you've kind of alluded to this already. They went on for more than five minutes. I say celebrations. It was the mega powers celebrating. They lost the match. Why were they celebrating? <laughs> well, they found the briefcase full of money, okay. which really seemed to please uh, the Hulkster. He was throwing... Gyrating the, furiously. He was throwing the money into the crowd, which was real money, supposedly. Yeah, but um, what, apparently $1 bills, I think, have red cents <laughs> rather than anything more uh, more expensive than that. Um, yeah, and after the match, Face Hogan threatens to batter the referee for, uh, for the DQ. Um you know, Brutus ends up looking stupid because he's just in the background clapping along like a doofus as uh, as Hogan celebrates. Much like he does in real life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Brutus yeah. the Barber Beefcake sucks. 
he's a deeply, deeply average wrestler. Is my note on him. <laughs> and my last note on this on this sort of matches are leave, please leave, because the music starts looping and they're still going on and on in the ring. It's terrible. Um, anybody know the story here of how Hogan got his black eye? Carl, I bet you yeah. do. So he comes to the ring looking all busted up. Apparently, he was attacked leaving the gym the night before, but that's not what really happened. It's awful. It's a really, really. It's lies bloodshot. It's purple um, because apparently. Randy Savage socked him, socked him on heavy after a argument they had involving uh, Hogan's apparent real life advances or comments towards Miss Elizabeth. Wow, that is not the story that I heard. I heard that he got hit by a jet ski when he was out skiing with Brutus the Barber Beefcake the week before and they were really drunk and he flew off it and the jet ski hit him and gave him a black eye. Well, well, well. That's Tweet the at the PE podcast. That's you the know thing that about Hogan. He tells so many lies, you never know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um, another note of trivia. Who is IRS the father of, Carrie? I really like IRS. Yeah. Don't you think? The Rotundas are just one of the best wrestling families. And who are the two current... Rostered Bo Dallas retenders. and Bray Wyatt. They certainly are. You can kind of, kind of see it in Bo. I think maybe not so much Bray. I think you can really see it if you, just at a certain angle. That's that's Bray Wyatt's jawline. It's really spooky. <laughs> um, Ted DiBiase worked this match injured, which a lot of people did on this show. He'd already given his notice. Uh, he wanted to leave the Fed to save his marriage because he'd been philandering and felt that if he was in Japan, he wouldn't do that so much. Um, John, this is around your era. <laughs> Not philandering. I just had DBRC. Um, a lot of people call him one of the greatest non-heavyweight champions ever. Do you think that's fair? Give us a bit of background on, on him and his WWF tenure. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a, a, a great wrestler. Um, this is obviously right towards the, the tail end uh, of his in-ring in career. Um, and of course, he's modelled on Vince. That's the sort of idea uh, of the gimmick: is that he, the million-dollar man, the guy with all the cash, and everybody's got a price. Is uh, sort of yeah, Vince's how Vince pictures himself, I think. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I guess as we go back through the WrestleManias, him in more high-profile positions. I mean, it's obviously a fairly high-profile one here, and it's part of this match actually that's, that's slightly odd. That you sort of this weird sort of transitional time between the early sort of Hulkamania era and the new generation era, that you've got this kind of double main event slot filled with guys that have been around since the early 80s and, and slightly earlier. Um, and DBRC is probably the best of that, that bunch in that, in that match, I'd say. Fantastic heel character. Incredible laugh. Great catchphrases. And, yeah, it, it takes a lot for a character to have their own belt that is non-canical and make that work and make that not seem like a silly gimmick. But Diviossi made it work because Diviossi was great, steady in in ring hand, could carry someone, was a good in ring general, could cut a promo, um, could cut a good what I was describe as not a cocaine paranoia promo. <laughs> like a lot of these promos are this first describers. And Diviossi understands. Legion of that, Doom, we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, Diviossi understands that re- modulating your voice is very important. Um, and he, he he offered a t- small child $100 to bounce a basketball 10 times. That's the first thing that came <laughs> to my head when you mentioned him. They're like those Mr. Perfect vignettes, that, isn't it? That is just so enduring, and everybody, you know, within 30 years of that happening is familiar with that scene of him just knocking the ball away on the last one. Yeah. Yeah. That is proper heel work. 
Um, so the other title match on the card kicked off the show is, was for the Intercontinental Championship as Shawn Michaels defended against Tatanka. We get our first look at sensational Sherry here. Carrie, who is she? So she's one of the um, really important uh, female figures uh, of the early WrestleMania days in that she's actually allowed to do stuff as opposed to look pretty. Um, probably best known for her work with Sean, which is why it's kind of interesting to see her against him here. And she's actually kind of allowed to kind of get involved, uh, have uh, uh, move storylines on, have direction, and of course, probably best known for her uh, for her for her vocal work on on, on Sean's uh, entrance music. How much is it? just amazing to hear that it's just the greatest <laughs> thing ever isn't it it's really good to actually hear that version rather yeah. than sean talking with his sean voice um the opponent john Tatanka, that was a pretty racist gimmick wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah there's no way around it really is there and you know the i think next next week we might be look you know it's it's even worse uh, in terms of its uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Racistness. That's that's <laughs> the one. Um, yeah, he was on this you know undefeated streak at this point and uh, was pretty dull in the ring. I thought, um, although the crowd seemed to be quite into into him for for some unknown reason. The crowd is into him because he's just a bad photocopy of Hulk Hogan. It's I'm a big heavy guy and I have a moment where I'm going to start no selling moves and then I'm going to lift my arms up and down and then attack you. There, there are a lot of bad Hulk Hogan clones in this era. Uh, Tatanka is one of them, with a Native American twist, spin on the Hogan formula. That uh, is no. So he wasn't supposed to be the opponent here. It was supposed to be Marty Jannetty, but he'd been fired shortly before this mania. Uh, Luna Vachon made her debut here as, as Sean's second, and she she beat up Sherry later backstage that we didn't get to see, but but we heard about it. Uh, the DQ finish here kind of set the tone for the night. Were they right to book it in this instance? Because they wanted to keep Tatanka's unbeaten streak, but keep the belt on Sean. I mean, it kind of, yeah. Kind of, I have no idea why you'd want to give Tatanka an unbeaten streak. There is nothing about that character that needs an undefeated streak because I, he doesn't look like anything other than a mid-carder. So why why did you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, four matches down. Well, three in an angle, I guess. However you slice it, though, it's time for a break. Parts Unknown continues next. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. Please give us a nice review, rate, share, subscribe. We promise we won't go to Saudi Arabia. This week we're casting an eye over WrestleMania 9. Carl, I speculated this might be the worst mania ever. In mitigation, the Fed might argue they had a real issue with star power here. Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog recently fired for steroid abuse. Razor Ramon, uh, Mr. Perfect and, um, as I mentioned, Ted DiBiase all worked their matches with various injuries. So should we be cutting this show a little slack? They were... They were hamstrung, literally and, and metaphorically. Very much so. I think if I think thirty percent of the roster who wrestles at WrestleMania Nine aren't there at WrestleMania Ten. On top of that, as well, this is a real unplanned changing of the guard. It is in a similar way that WrestleMania Twenty Seven with the Miz in the main event was very much a oh god no we've there there's we've like dried up all the indies and there's no one coming up there's no one coming through. I think nine is a similar thing, which is, this is Vince's problem. Vince's problem is he will find a Hulk Hogan, use that character to plan nine or ten years worth of WrestleManias, and then it gets to a point where that character cannot sustain themselves any longer, and then you start floundering. So it was Hogan up until nine, 
Then up until about 18, it was Austin or... I think, no, that's a bit lucky because you had Austin and The Rock and you had Triple H. And then now you're having the John Cena run from 18 to 27. And now it's just that, oh no, I've tried Roman Reigns for four years in a row and it's not working. What do I do? Vince likes to have one big, dependable banking name and then fill out the rest with white noise. And, and that means every ninth WrestleMania or so is a dud. And this was that. Uh, back to the card. We'll whiz through some of these matches because they weren't up to much. The Undertaker defeated Giant Gonzalez by disqualification. Um, the first jazzy entrance from Taker, it featured a vulture. And then the damn bell had to ring, John. Um, we've all lamented the Undertaker streak uh, in, in recent weeks. So you can have a go here. Um, I don't really know where to start. A Giant Gonzalez outfit, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well, my notes here, Giant Gonzalez can't sell. He can't. Be- he can barely wrestle, and the skin suit is silly. Um, so Giant Gonzalez was a Argentinian former basketball, basketball player. Mm. Right. Yeah, and his knees at this point are clearly destroyed. He can barely move. The poor guy. I felt really sorry for him actually. Um, and to be fair, as ridiculous as his outfit is, it's slightly better than the stuff he had to wear in WCW, where he had that sort of weird pink spangly singlet <laughs> thing on. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's still bleak times for The Undertaker, isn't it, at this point? Um, Carrie, Undertaker's still having matches 25 years later. Yes, yes he is. Which are you less enthused by, <laughs> The Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez or The Undertaker versus John Cena at this year's WrestleMania? Oh, well, obviously this year's WrestleMania. But I will... I'm going to cut Taker some slack here. If we're, cut, we're cutting the WrestleMania as a whole some slack. He's bumping like a maniac throughout this match because Giant Gonzalez can't do anything. So Taker's kind of forced into having to put on some kind of show and he must have been knackered because he's the only one doing anything in that ring. I mean, it's a stupid story that they have to tell and the chloroform thing sucks, obviously. But So he, get, he Gonzalez covers Taker's face with a chloroform rag and gets DQ'd. Yeah. So he didn't even pin him in this match. I'm a massive eight-foot-tall, actually seven-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, so I need a little hanky <laughs> to be the Undertaker. I really enjoyed how on commentary it was Heenan and, and Savage who explained what was going on. Like, What's that smell? Is it? Is it? And Savage clearly forgets the word for chloroform. He's like, it's chlora. Chlora, what, what is it, brother? It's a chloroform. And then he and he's like, it's chloroform, blah, blah, blah. And they really like, oh, yeah, he's put this sleeping agent on a rag. Um, <laughs> am, am, I, am, I, am I too cruel to say that the streak kind of ends at WrestleMania 9? Ooh, hot take. Maybe he gets going again a bit later, but pauses there, I yeah. would say. Oh, you mean ends as in he, he yeah. won by DQ, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he won by DQ. Yeah, good point. Good point. Not a win. No, no. You mentioned commentary there. Um, I think somebody who would have been delighted is whoever was in charge at this point of promoting Oklahoma, because Oklahoma <laughs> was said a lot on this show, oh. because Jim Ross is from Oklahoma, so they kept saying Oklahoma and mentioning Oklahoma all the time, and it was like, oh, Oklahoma, by the end of it. Three or four minutes, he would say Oklahoma, even if it was not relevant. But it wasn't just him, was it? It'd no, be no, like, Bobby Heenan would be like, hey, what about that thing that happens in Oklahoma? Like, like, we're of, not in Oklahoma. Some kind of drinking game must have been. I can't <laughs> think of anything else. It's fantastic. I really enjoy this commentary setup. Oh, I think it actually might be the best commentary setup we've had yet. Bobby Heenan, Macho Man, and JR as the straight man. It's very good fun. Fantastic, because you've got Heenan doing Heenan things. I'm a broadcast journalist, come on. Just constantly doing joke, joke, joke. Savage, who, when Savage is lucid, 
is great. Owen Savage is not lucid. It's hilarious because he's clearly forgetting the word for something. He's like, what is this? <laughs> Which is just great because then you have Ewan going, you're not a smart man, so I'm going to laugh at you now. Um, Razor Ramon beat Bob Backlund in less than four minutes. Apparently, Scott Hall was injured here, hence the short match. Carry a bit of a, a metaphorical thumb in the eye for the previously unbeaten Backlund, though, wasn't it? I feel really bad for Bob Backlund here. They kind of drag him out to fill out the car. They keep talking about how old he is. He's 43, which is almost like 10 years younger than your main eventers at Crown Jewel. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, it was. this was a very strange match. And, yeah, I feel bad for Bob Backlund, who is obviously crazy, but probably deserves better than that. Uh, anyone else got anything to say on this? John, you haven't spoken um, about, about Razor Ramon, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it, what a great gimmick. And he looked so well and healthy at this time. Yeah, he looked great. Um, he's coming into this one on the back of having faced Brett at the Rumble. Um, so he's you know still right up at the top of the card. Um, and the face turn is coming fairly soon, I think. And then he moves into the intercontinental picture. But yeah, I just felt sorry for, for Bob Backlund. JR mentions it's his first WrestleMania. But doesn't mention that he had the belt for five years in the early 80s. Um, and late seventies, um, just be, and lost it only just before the first WrestleMania. Um, you know that he'd fought Flair in the seventies and Bockwinkel and Race and Inoki in Japan, and that Snooker's famous uh, splash from the top of the cage uh, in '82 was against Backlund. But he's treated like a jobber and looks like a jobber. And at Wrestle, by WrestleMania nine, he's going to be losing chess games to the kid from Home Improvement. So. True, yes. <laughs> um, the Steiner brothers defeated the Head Shrinkers. I mean, the head shrink is another pretty racist gimmick. Um, one of them, Fatu, a.k.a. Rikishi. The other, Samu, a.k.a. the Wild Samoan. They were known as the Samoan SWAT team in WCW. Steiner Brothers, Carl, didn't have much time in WWF, um, but they're quite a significant tag team in terms of this era of wrestling. Tell, tell people who don't know a bit about who they are and what they So do. it's Rick and Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner of um, Holler, if you hear me, Freaks. Big Popper Pump. Big Popper Pump with the chainmail and uh, uh, Kurt Angle. That's quick mathematics for you, if you know the legendary mathematics promo from TNA. Um, and they were a phenomenal tag team. So their, their gimmick was we're uh, high school collegiate wrestler, wrestlers. Um, we're brothers, so they have that brother gimmick of this. Just, they don't miss a half second. They work very, very closely together. They have a number of combination tag team moves. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before. Certain wrestlers look amazing in GIF form, where there's no commentary. You just see the action of what they're doing. So Dean Malenko looks amazing with the sound off. The Steiner brothers look phenomenal with the sound off. They, in the same, if you are a fan of the Bar and what Cesaro is doing in tag team wrestling now, you can sort of see like a early rough prototype version in what the Steiner brothers are doing in this era. Um, they go off to WCW. Scott takes. Far too many substances um, to become a single star, and that's that's why when Scott Steiner returns, he looks that way and completely different from what you may see him in WrestleMania Nine. But no, the, the the Steiners are not a joke as a tag team unit, and it, it's quite sad what happened in in their singles runs because there's none of the charm and warmth and technical crispness that you see when they are tag team wrestlers. Scott Steiner, you classing. Classic wrestling crackpot. Uh, WCW cut a shoot promo on Ric Flair, didn't he? Told fans to switch over to watch Stone Cold instead. Backstage brawl with DDP. He was banned from the 2015 Hall of Fame ceremony after allegedly making death threats to Mr. and Mrs. Hulk Hogan. 
Rick, by contrast, is a mortgage broker. So <laughs> different brothers, different personalities. Um, John, what about that botched finish? Yeah, it was such a shame, actually, because I thought, I feel like I might be in the minority, but I thought this was the match of the night, or day, um, which probably says slightly more about the card as a whole than it does about the, the match, maybe. Um, and yeah, it was a horrible, horrible botch Frankenstein that Jim Ross then calls uh, a Steiner line, which given that he's been calling them in WCW for goodness knows how many years, is uh, pretty embarrassing for him. They call Rick the dog-faced gremlin, Carrie, and I don't know where the gremlin bit comes from, but it does look like a dog, like a bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, in a collegiate jacket. Yeah. It's you, lovely. Yeah, with the with the ear yeah. cards on. Ah, oh, he's quite a nice return chap. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Producer mullet. Ben's asking about mullets. It was it was very much a mullet off at this time. It was well, I mean we're Billy Ray Cyrus peak era here, aren't we? Scott's or Sean's? I am loath to give Sean best anything because I hate him so much, so right. I'm going with Scott. John, I think Scott's is the classic mullet in that it's kind of sort of naturally curly hair but proper short sides and then down at the back, behind the ears, there's no sort of waviness about it or anything. Scott's looks very deliberate in a way that you think Sean, maybe maybe he's growing it out, maybe he's going somewhere with this. Scott has it exactly how he wants it. Oh, you've just shaved your hair bald. Is that so you can grow it back as a mullet? Uh, I'm trying to do a Stone Cold thing. I lost the hair versus hair match, you see. Right. <laughs> I had the match with my brother, finally. I lost. <laughs> um, Doink the Clown defeated Crush. Um, I won't come to you, Carl, because I know you're scared of clowns. Uh, another screwy finish here. Just odd. There was another clown involved. Um, Carrie, it was all a bit of a joke and so it was kind of apt that there was a clown there maybe I, d I don't get any of this I mean again this might be because I wasn't watching at the time but the two clowns thing was really freaky it, this is this was really weird it was like a surreal out of body kind of experience in the middle of the ring in the middle of the card what, what the hell was that very odd a crush's mullet John um, <laughs> he could have been in a local community theatre performance of Rapunzel. It was that long. Um, why did why did they put this match on? Well, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> Do you like clowns? No, I'm terrified of clowns. Okay. But, like, his music is absolutely terrifying. I just sort it of is. wish they'd gone a bit more, like, carried on with it and made him a bit more evil and a bit more twisted. Um, he sort of... A heel clown kind of works for me. A face clown doesn't work, because that's stupid. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Crush was on the sort of this famed list of potential WWF champions back in sort of late 92. Or at least he's, he claimed, I think in his book, that he was on this list along with um, uh, Brett and... Uh, uh, Backland, I think, has said that he was on that list as well, <laughs> as, as has Tito Santana. So the list gets kind of <laughs> slightly less and less. All very, yeah, yeah. all very reliable like narrators there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is not good, let's be honest. Uh, last and sort of least, Lex Luger defeated Mr Perfect. Poor old Perfect. He screwed up his pre-match promo, apparently forgot the spots in the match, lumbered with the hapless Luger, Carry not a memorable mania for Curtis Axel's dad. It was not a good mania for Perfect, but I really liked the screw-up of his promo too because he actually kind of really brazened it out. It was so funny the way he did it because he, he was basically spoonerising, wasn't he, um, Lex Luger, the narcissist, and he just couldn't work out how he'd gone wrong with it. And he kept trying again and it was still wrong. But yes, not a great match, but then again, not a great opponent. 
And yes, not a classic mania for poor Mr. Perfect, but he has plenty of other wonderful things that he has done, so I'm going to gloss over that. Not a great opponent, John. Vince obviously likes Lex because he's really muscly, which is fine. That's that's Vince's thing. But surely as the owner and promoter of a wrestling company, you've got to put some stock in whether people or people can actually wrestle or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it, when you have to have this sort of loaded forearm gimmick to uh, to win matches. Um, the best bit of this was when uh, Perfect stormed backstage and found Sean wearing the exact clothes he still wears today, his cowboy boots and his jeans. Um, <laughs> the thing about this match is that kind of... Because you can sort of tell here that the, the plan is for Luger to go on and feud with Brett because they, they'd they done a attack on the... What was it? The, the some, br- some sort of breakfast or The brunch. WrestleMania yes. brunch, which was... A, apparently that was a treat for the aforementioned casino high rollers. They got this brunch and they did an angle in it, but they didn't film it for some reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so part of, I find like part of the problem about this this WrestleMania is that everything feels quite inconsequential because plans just get changed or you know matches are just thrown together and this is just a perfect example of it because um, perfect despite losing goes on to uh, face Sean for the IC title in, at SummerSlam um, and by by that time Luger's Mister America on his uh, on his bus. All right, so that was that really a show of DQs, togas, and Oklahoma. Carl, is it the worst we've seen so far? Is it is it worse than 2000? No, because I do like the staging. I've uh, My friend Ben Wilson, who reviews WWE games for the last 10, 15 years, says WrestleMania 9 is whatever, whatever. But if I, you close your eyes and I say WrestleMania 9, you can picture it. You can see Bobby Heenan coming in backwards on a camel. You can see, well, you know what it looks like. Whereas if you say WrestleMania 2000, you know, nothing nothing comes to mind it's bad but memorable in a way that a truly bad wrestlemania like 2000 or i didn't particularly care for 11 um aren't like some wrestlemanias are bad and boring i will take a bad and interesting wrestlemania over bad and boring and this one is bad and interesting if only because what on earth is hulk hogan (laughs) um I'm going to ask you for a WrestleMania moment. I'm guessing it's not Hogan related. No, it it, it is Mr. Perfect's flub. It is Mr. Perfect making a mistake and then going, I'm too excited. I'm going to go out there and wrestle now. <laughs> and it's like, oh. The, I, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how um, the things we remember from our childhoods aren't as good as what we remember. Like There's those tinted glasses and whatnot. And, so, and a lot of these wrestlers don't measure up. And a lot of these wrestlers aren't what we think they are. But then you see Mr. Perfect. And I, no, he wasn't perfect, but he was amazing. And he was something different and kind-hearted and believed in all the good things you like in wrestling. And even when Mr. Perfect made a mistake, he's like, sorry, I'm going to go fix it later on. And you're like, yeah, you will, because you're, you're Kurt Henning, man. Not perfect, but you're Kurt Henning. Um, John, have you got a WrestleMania moment? It's fairly thin, isn't it, on the ground? But I, I did like, during the main event... Uh, as the crowd were chanting USA, USA, uh, Bobby the Brain points out that Yoko's from Japan and Brett's from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie? Uh, sensational Sherry's frock. I really liked it. It's okay. really good. Yeah, good shout. I'm going to go for the guy who wheeled the gurney down to ringside after Take V Gonzalez wearing a toga. Just, you know, <laughs> medical personnel from a local medical facility. But um, sticking to the gimmick, brother. Twitter plugs. Carrie, where can people keep up with you? At Carrie Sparkle. John? I'm at... John underscore Ashdown. And Carl? 
Anchorman616. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at Matt Davis Adams. I promise I'm not going to change it again. Next week, we're off to the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana for WrestleMania 8. It's a far better show than this one. And it is star-studded. Flair, Hogan, Savage, Brett, Piper, Undertaker and the Repo Man. Until then, thanks for listening. I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in parts unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.